Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 as these children lovingly go downstairs. We got a few still at home sick. Uh, I heard Toby was, uh, had the stomach bugs, so let's pray for him. Paul Adkins uh, has, is sick. He started back to school this week. He's starting some classes online through Clear Creek Baptist Bible College. And I told Jessica he must have picked up a, a computer virus. That fell pretty dead. So make sure that Paul listens to this recording and see if he laughs at that or not. Fair enough. Okay. Amen. Amen. But we know we have uh, several folks traveling. Uh, the Cody's have been traveling out west in the midst of this big ice storm. So uh, we've been in communication with them. They've had some, uh, they've been stuck and they've had to go get Margaret and different things. So we're praying for them that they get back safely in the midst of this beautiful weather. Um, and pray for everyone else who is not well this week. Hebrews chapter 10. What I want to do today is I want us to focus on the idea of biblical covenant as it relates to church membership. It is something that I think our churches in the 20th century have kind of forgotten and put away to the side in favor of individualism. And I think it's important for us to see what God's Word has to say about this for our church And so this is a continuation of what I preached a few weeks back and then what Bill touched on in Ephesians chapter 2 about the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not our own. Amen? Our salvation is because of what Christ has done for us. Our salvation is in Christ alone. And because of that, there is something important for us to see in commitment together as Christians in a church body. And so if you can, stand with me to read God's Word. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. The writer of the Hebrews speaks this way, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us pray. Father God, we do praise you for your word. And we thank you, dear God, for all that you give us. And we thank you, dear God, for all that we have received. You've loved us enough to save us through the blood of your Son. You sacrificed your one and only Son for us. And we did not deserve it. And because of that covenant that you have made with us through Jesus Christ, dear God, I pray that you would stir up in each and every one of us who understand this salvation, stir up within us, Lord, a compassion to make a covenant to worship together in his name. Let our gathering as Christians in this church be a reflection of the salvation that you have given us. 
Help us to understand what it means to be a church. Help us to understand, dear God, what it means to commit. Especially in this day that we live in, commitment is gone. So help us to be a witness to the world who does not know Christ as we commit to one another. Let that be glorifying to your name. Speak to us in your word, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This message today is primarily for those who are Christians. I'm just going to be real direct, okay? Uh, we have many who will hear this word through the recording and our podcast. We'll have some who uh, may even be here, young ones especially, who just don't know Jesus Christ at all. And that's okay. Because part of what the Scriptures tell us about uh, salvation is that salvation is the result of, of, of a few who are set apart, but that does not mean that everyone is abandoned. Salvation clearly sets a few apart from the world. Because if we were not different than the world, then we are not saved. Amen? If we are not different from the sinful world that we live in, then what's the purpose? Jesus Christ died on that cross to set aside His cherished loved ones who love God in covenant and in relationship with Him through obedience to the Word, but also through repentance of our sin. And let's just be honest. Not everyone in the world will admit to that they are sinners, first of all. Yes? That's the first step to accepting salvation in Jesus Christ. We have to understand our need for salvation, which means we must be awakened to the truth of our sin. The only way that happens is through the Holy Spirit. Then, and only then, once we realize our need for a Savior, can we then even begin to fathom what it is Christ has done. And then and only then can God enter into our hearts and purge us of that sin. Amen? Not everyone will understand that. Not everyone will agree with it. And those who do not understand this important point of salvation are those who have either rejected the call of the Holy Spirit to salvation or who have not yet opened their ears and their hearts to it. Or the Holy Spirit may still be working a little bit to bring them to the point that they can listen to the Word of God. Think about it. How many people do we know who are not Christians? You may work with them. They may be family members. And their response to you about all things godly is, I just don't understand the Scriptures. Well, If they're not saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is not helping them interpret, they will not understand Scripture. That's just it. So let us pray for those who are not of the faith that our lives as Christians and our gathering together as Christians becomes that light on the hill that they are drawn to. And then because the God's kingdom, God's holy people, those of us who are saved by the blood, who are called by God as precious, we have plenty of room for more. Amen? It's not just an elite club that no one else is welcome, even though we are in an elite club. We are chosen. The words in Scripture are clear. We are called the elect. That doesn't mean that we are somehow better than anyone else. does not mean that no one else is welcome. All are welcome in the kingdom of God, but many will not come. 
And so when we come here to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, this passage is a good reminder to us of exactly what it means to commit together. When it says here in verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10 that we are not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. That rings so true to us today, amen? Now, we have several people who are not here today, but we we are a congregation who is still small enough to where I think we understand where most everyone is. We know who's throwing up at home, right? We know who are stuck in snowstorms out in the Midwest. We know who may still be needing some health, you know, whatever's going on. We know where they are. We know the circumstance. But let's just be honest. How many churches that we have been, that we know, how many churches are large enough to where somebody could be gone for weeks or months at a time and no one misses them? How many people do we know who only come to church when it's convenient? How many people do we know who only come to church at the holidays or once a month at best and they call themselves Christians? I think we need to look at this text here in Hebrews chapter 10 and understand what the biblical mandate is for gathering together. And I I see here, especially in the book of Hebrews and through some other scriptures we're going to look at today, that when when we gather together, this is a habit that is connected to covenant. And I want us to see this in scripture as it's tied to the covenant of Jesus Christ with us through salvation. Because think about this, because the Christian has confidence and assurance that they are saved by Christ's blood, amen, there is this thing called assurance of the faith. We are assured of our salvation. And because the Christian lives a new life through this new covenant in Christ's blood, when we participated in, in communion, we always read that when we take the juice... This is the, my blood poured out for you as a sign of a what? A new covenant. And so because the Christian lives a new life of, through a new covenant in Jesus Christ, we as Christians, we have a new high priest in Christ according to Hebrews chapter 10. If that is the case, therefore, we draw together in a new covenant with a truly new heart which gives us confidence that if we are saved as Christ followers, we too love the church that he gave himself for. This is an important point to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that sin could be forgiven, but I think there's a good biblical argument, even though Jesus Christ calls all to repentance, even though the Holy Spirit stirs up all through the message of the gospel to come to faith, that blood that Jesus spills for us is for us, and that us means the church. Jesus didn't spill his blood for everyone who rejects him necessarily. It's there, but that blood of Jesus Christ issues in a new covenant. Now, the idea of covenant here implies two agreeing parties who commit to one another. Amen? How can the blood of Jesus Christ be poured out for those who are not in covenant? With him, That's what the scripture says. Let's take a look at this deeply. Number nine, uh, verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. 
These verses 19 through 22 clearly point to a those who have been bought by the blood, those who have been cleansed of their sin, those who have come into covenant relationship with the Lord. Because if we as Christians have confidence in our salvation, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy places. Because prior to this, in order to come anywhere near God, only the select, set-apart priest could ever go into the Holy of Holies. And even then, the priest, when he goes into the Holy of Holies, was only once a year at best. And even then, they would tie a rope around his ankle as he goes in, in case he falls dead, they can at least drag him out. No one was allowed to come near the presence of the Lord because of sin. That's what sin does. It separates us from His presence. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, in verse 19, we have confidence that we can now enter the holy places. We have confidence that we can now enter into the presence of God because He has come to us and rescued us through this blood. But notice in verse 19, what is it that gives us the confidence to enter the holy places? It's not us. It's not our own self and grandizement, it's not our own self-confidence that brings us to the holy places. It is what? It's the blood of Christ that brings us into the holy places. Blood. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a deep thing. Tallulah loves the song that we sing, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Amen? Tallulah, she sings it louder than everybody. Daisy, do you like that song too, Nothing But the Blood? Why do we sing that wonderful hymn? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's because that is central to our salvation. That's central to who we are as God's people. By this, there's a new way that we live. Verse 20, this blood of Jesus Christ gives us a new living way. You could say that this new life is a new covenant in Christ. Now, who initiates this covenant? This the covenant is initiated by Jesus himself. Not us. If, you, if, if we could initiate a new covenant with God, then there would have been no need for Jesus Christ to usher in salvation for us. If we could have saved ourselves, then Jesus was not necessary on the cross. The only way to initiate a covenant with sinful fallen man was God himself says, I will issue this covenant because I am holy and I am the only one who can fix this sin problem. That covenant was initiated by God to his people through the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ is a sign of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new commitment. Because that new commitment is the evidence of our sin being forgiven, our sin being washed away, in verse 22 it says here. This new high priest that we have in Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, is the ability for us to come into the house of God, verse 21. This house of God, of course, in the Old Testament tradition, was a physical place. Originally a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, but then as, uh, uh, as Israel's culture grew, they built beautiful, beautiful temples to God. But that was a sign of where God is, God's presence with His people. Through the blood of Christ, this new house of God becomes the dwelling place wherever God is. And where does God dwell now, folks? God dwells with you and me. God dwells in our hearts. He, God's 
presence is here this morning because we have agreed to come together in the name of Jesus Christ and we have prayed and we have dedicated this worship time to the Lord. This is His time. This is His place. God dwells here. Amen? Likewise, God dwells with us in our homes. God dwells with us as individuals. He dwells in the individual Christian. That's that's a biblical truth. And so we no longer have this physical wall, this physical barrier that keeps us from God. Through this new covenant in Christ, we have God near us. And as a result, we draw near together in verse 22 of Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews now speaks about gathering together. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That right there is exactly why we gather as Christians. We gather on Sunday mornings to worship. We gather at Bible studies and we gather one-on-one. Let's say you go to Poets Coffee Shop and you have some coffee and just pray together and talk. Or you go to All Good Diner and have wonderful breakfast with good men of God. Amen. And have these big, big uh, omelets and biscuits and gravy and or ladies, you show up at my house and Rhonda hosts you for a wonderful time of fellowship and, and you all bring food that I'm not allowed to eat. No, I'm not, I'm not, no bitter, not bitterness, right? But we draw together, right? We draw together because we have a true heart. In full, that true heart of the Christian is the, is the heart that has been washed clean of their sin, a true heart connected in fellowship and in covenant with Jesus Christ because we have full assurance that we have been forgiven. That's why we draw near. Let us draw near. We draw near to God by drawing near together. And we all share the same thing as Christians. We have hearts that are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed pure with water. Why else do we come together? I don't know about you. I mean, I love you, but I'm not here to impress you. Hopefully, uh, I don't want to come here to impress people. And I I don't get that impression from this congregation that anyone is here to be impressed. I think that we are a genuine group of people who love one another because we love Christ. Outside of Christ, I don't know that we would love each other. Let's just be truth, right? Let's just speak truth here. Without the blood of Christ, without the assurance of His forgiveness and the new heart that we have in Christ, would we love one another? Probably not. We may like each other every now and then, but only at limited times. right? But there is is something about a shared common bond of a new heart through Jesus Christ that draws people together to love each other in a way that that could never happen outside of Christ. And so that is traditionally known in, in the Christian tradition and in Scripture as the law of Christ or the law of love. What does Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and or love your neighbor as yourself. That is a two-part law of covenant in love through Jesus Christ. We love Jesus Christ, God loves us, and the second part of that is we love each other as neighbors because of that love of God. Amen? And so in verse 23 here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There is, again, an unbending commitment here in verse 23, a straight shot to God and His love and His covenant with us. 
because in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. There's the word of covenant there. For he who promised, God himself promised a new life in Jesus Christ as Jesus himself promised to die on the cross for us and to make us new. That is a faithful commitment from God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They promise. They are faithful to us. They are faithful that they are making us new. They are faithful that we are a new body, a new covenant together as Christians. And verse 24, because of this promise from God himself, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice this text here, this passage. Everything leading up to verse 24 is explaining exactly why we are Christians, explaining exactly why we are like-minded. And then in verse 24 and 25, because of that commitment to Jesus Christ, and because of that commitment from Jesus Christ, Christ to us, then and only then, that's why we meet together. You see the reasoning there? See, a lot of people get this upside down. They think if we come and meet together as Christians, that's all that's necessary. I'll just come whenever it's convenient for me, and I'll just get my spiritual nourishment whenever I'm hungry. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with non-Christians coming to church. I love it. I hope they do. We want Sovereign Grace Baptist Church to be that place where those who are not Christians see love in action. We want them to feel welcome amongst the body of God's people. But we also have to be very loving and truthful and say, you know what, if you are not a Christian, if God has not washed you clean, you are not part of the body. You are welcome here. We want you here. We want to love you. We want to help you. We want to serve you. We want you to get to know us. We want to get to know you. We want to take care of you in any way that we can. We want to show you the love of Christ. But even in that, we must make it very clear, if you are not a Christian, you are not part of the body of Christ. So that they may actually hunger and desire to be part of God's people, And the only way that happens is through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And we have to speak that truthfully. You are welcome here. You are welcome to be a part of the church. But you cannot be a member of the church because only those who are in the body of Christ, those who have been washed by the blood, are God's people. And only God's people know the covenant. And only through the covenant can we dare to have a covenant with each other. That's how that works. But why is it that we come together? Verse 25 is very important. 24 and 25 together reminds the church that we are not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. You think that this is a new problem in the American church? No, it's not. It was was evident even in the earliest centuries of the church, as we see here. Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Now, does this mean that if you don't come to church, you're going to hell? No. But if the attitude of coming to church is, I'm going to come when it's convenient, that to me is evidence that perhaps the covenant with Jesus Christ is somehow not solid. I would actually question someone's sincere salvation through the blood if they willingly neglect meeting with the Christians and the church. 
I sincerely doubt that. The other implication here is, and throughout all of the New Testament, we won't go there, but this is just a side note. Throughout all of the New Testament, whenever the Apostle Paul speaks of uh, the church and those who are saved, whenever any of the other apostles who write the letters in the New Testament write about the Christians coming together, there is an, an assumption, it is an assumption that those Christians have already been baptized. It was never a thought in the early church that someone would not be baptized. But somehow in our modern day in the church, we have now isolated baptism as something that is optional. Baptism is part of the covenant as well. It's not something that saves us, clearly, and that's a different sermon altogether, but baptism is assumed. It is assumed. Now, why is this important about neglecting coming together? The traditional Baptist tradition, and we are Baptists, amen, Southern Baptists, the traditional Baptist tradition rejected church membership as a condition of membership in the community. There was a time in in English tradition especially, and most of us come from that, uh, North America comes from that English church tradition, and even in the early uh, colonial period of America, membership in the church was equal with membership in the community. It was one and the same. Baptists have traditionally rejected that. For, for Baptists, traditionally, church membership was a commitment to a greater eternal community, not just the community that we live in. That's the traditional way of church membership. But even in our Bible Belt mentality here, members of a church still equals members of the community. But the traditional Baptist tradi- uh, uh, way of looking at church membership is, no, we are not members of the community because we're members of a church. We're members of the church because we are members of a greater eternal community that transcends this community. That's the traditional way of looking at this. That, but in the 19th century... There was this emphasis on social action in place of church action. In other words, in the 19th century of American culture, somehow in the church there became this emphasis of of changing the the society and, and purging the society of all evil, and as a result, the church suffered. Rather than emphasizing the building up of the church, there became a emphasis on outside of the church. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. We should think about the, that which is outside of these walls. We should think about those who are not part of the church. We must think about us as a church and our role in serving the community. Yes. However, in the 19th century, what happened was serving the community outside of the church became more important than securing the integrity of of the church inside the walls. Happened in the 19th century. So this is nothing new. Christians at that time shifted their energies away from purifying the church relationship inside the church to trying to purify the community. And in the 20th century, this led to a large shift to where American evangelicalism became individualized rather than a communal body together. You see the slippery slope here that happened? In the 19th century, suddenly we had to fix the social problems of our community 
and we neglected the health of the church, that then led to, well, we don't need the church to be Christians because now Christianity is not about a community. Christianity is now about me. And a sense of individualism rose up in the 20th century that has affected, I want to say infected, the church. Would you agree? Christianity is no longer about a community of believers. Christianity is now about me. You see the slippery slope here? That Traditionally in the church for 2,000 plus years, that was never the idea. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see any evidence that an individual can be a Christian apart from a community of believers. It's just not there. There is nothing in Scripture that says, as individuals, we neglect the meeting together of of believers. This is why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer of the Hebrews makes it very clear, do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Unfortunately, in the the 21st century church, the result and an overflow of the 20th century church in America... It's no longer neglecting meeting together on the habit of some, but it's now the habit of the majority. The problem here is that the integrity of the church was nearly lost in the 20th century. The integrity of the church, if we all agree, is clearly sliding down and down and further and further. So the integrity of the church is at stake here. But thankfully... Because of God's faithfulness through His covenant, the gospel itself has never been lost. The gospel has always been the gospel. The gospel stays the same. You see, the church, I'm a firm believer in this, the church is the greatest tool for evangelism. The church is the greatest tool for missions. The church is the greatest tool for any kind of social needs on reform. Without the church, none of that happens. Without the church, none of that is successful. And that's God's plan. Now, we have to remember that church membership does not equal salvation. But church membership reflects the, fa- the covenant of salvation made by Jesus' blood. I want to emphasize that again. It is church membership that reflects the covenant we have of salvation through Jesus' blood. That's how we need to understand gathering together as God's people. We gather together because it is a reflection of what Christ has already done for us. We meet together in celebration of Jesus' salvation for us. Now, covenant in, in Scripture is very biblical. God made a covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter 8 after the flood. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and promised that his descendants would be more than the numbers of the stars. God made a covenant with Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 and says, I'm going to continue the covenant I made with your father through you. And then later in the book of Exodus, all of the book of Exodus, it it speaks about God making a new covenant with the children of Israel through Moses. The Mosaic covenant established a, a nation of people. It was a fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. Now you are my people. I'm rescuing you out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, it's a covenant of the people. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 24. This was our uh, passage this morning that Bill read for us. I wanted to read that for a reason. Because this covenant that Moses makes with the people and God 
And Exodus chapter 24 reflects clearly what the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter 10. The importance of the covenant of Jesus' blood and the covenant that we have together as God's people. Exodus 24, beginning in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said... This is the, I mean, these are the, the, the words of the people. The people of, the, of, of God spoke this in one voice in response to God. All the words that the Lord has spoken, what? We will do. Those are words of promise. Those are words of commitment. Those are words of covenant between God's people and himself. They are responding to the reading of God's word by Moses as he speaks the words of the Lord. They are responding with agreement, Dear God, we will, say, we will do everything you say. Verse 4. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Do you see the evidence of blood here through this covenant? Sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. In verse 7, Then he, Moses, took the book of the what covenant. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the, in the hearing of the people. And they said, here's their response, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. You see, this is language of commitment. This is language of covenant. This is language of obedience. And in verse 8, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You see, covenant with God is a covenant that is made through blood. Now, girls, I don't know if you ever did this, but boys, we, we like to become blood brothers when we're little, right? We want to like... Well, now, the movies show that they slice the hand. I've never been that brave. I would like poke my finger maybe. Right? And then you kind of mix the blood with each other by holding hands, right? That, that blood brother thing. Uh, do, the boys still do that? Boys don't do that anymore. There's something about blood here that matters. Right? Blood is serious. Blood is what gives us life. Blood is that which keeps us going. And so this Mosaic covenant that we see here between God speaking to the people and the people responding back to him, we see here this agreement between two parties that God has initiated and that the people respond to. Take that same idea over to the covenant through Jesus Christ. If his blood has been spilled for us and his blood covers our sin, how do we react to that? Do we reply with obedience and commitment to God through that? Or do we take the forgiveness of God through the blood of His Son as an entitlement? I don't see any, any indication here in Exodus chapter 24 that there was any idea of entitlement here. Really what I see here is actually words of gratitude and commitment to God. Now, and we, we speak about covenant here in the New Testament as well. God speaks of the church as the bride of Christ. 
The word here for church is ekklesia, which literally means the assembled ones. That's literally what that Greek word means. And that's the word it is translated as church. We see in Ephesians chapter 5, the, the, the discussion or the language of a bride and a marriage covenant. That's why in Ephesians 5, there is that uh, discussion about the roles of husbands and wives in the family. It's not a set of rules for us to follow as much as it is an imagery of Christ seeing the church as his bride being reflected in the home. Revelations chapter 21 speaks about the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of, out of heaven as a bride. You see, even Jesus speaks about the wedding feast. He has, parable, he has the parable of the wedding feast in Luke chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 22. Why is this important? Because, th- because when we think about covenant, one of the most binding covenants that we can make as human beings is in marriage. God uses that imagery of the bride and of marriage for a reason. How many of us in this room who see that if someone lives together with, a, like a man and a woman lives together and they're just boyfriend and girlfriend, oh, we're just going to live together. Marriage is not important. How many of us cringe about that? But we take that same idea and apply it to church membership. If it's not okay for two people to live together outside of the marriage covenant, then it's at the same time it's not okay for someone to claim to be a Christian in the name of Jesus Christ and reject the covenant of being a part of the church because Jesus uses that imagery of the marriage covenant with his, with his people. God uses that throughout the New Testament. My relationship with you as my people is the same as a relationship between a groom and a bride. So anyone who claims that church membership is not important, I'm going to challenge them to think, I'm going to ask them as a follow-up question. Do you think that the marriage covenant is important? Most of the time they'll say yes. Then why do you neglect the covenant of the church? It's the same imagery. You see, this individualism of our culture has infected the covenant of committing to the church. This is why we've got people who will go to a church for a while, they get fed up or they get bored or they get tired or they'll find something to get angry about, and they leave. They don't stay committed. People don't want to commit to a church because this idea of individual Christianity has taken over our culture and we don't connect church membership with the health of our covenant of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's one and the same. Church membership does not save you, but church membership is a reflection of your commitment to Jesus Christ. So, why is this important? Let me emphasize this, that the importance of Christ to the church is more than the importance of the church to Christ. I want to emphasize that really deeply. The importance of Jesus Christ to the church is more than the importance of the church to Christ. Because I promise you that if the church were to ever fade away, the gospel will not. But why is this important? Because the Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, we have been, we've had this loose affiliation of membership and uh, association, and I think it's been appropriate. I think it's okay. We started out as a Bible study. We've moved into this building a year and a half or so ago. Um, and we've gathered together regularly. And people have shown their commitment to one another and to this 
organization called Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. I have been grateful for that. But we've not been ready to commit as members yet. Now we're beginning to have uh, new people come to us. In these last six months or so, we've seen some new families join us. We've had some visitors coming in and out. I, I love to see that. I think we're, it's important for us now to begin to think and pray about committing as members. Now, what does that look like? As your pastor, I do not envision a church membership process that is so legalistic that no one can pass the test. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. But I do think it's important that as God's people, we hold each other accountable to a commitment. Just like if you were married, you wouldn't want that boyfriend of yours not to be, not, not to be committed to you, ladies, right? Isn't there a point in a relationship, ladies, where you want that man to commit? Right? That's important. Likewise for the church. So, what what are we doing? I have sent out to everyone who is on the email list, I sent it out about 30 minutes before our service today. So, when you get home, check your email. I want to follow up this week for those I know who do not have email and put something in the mail to them. But I have emailed out a copy of a church covenant that we we first looked at back in October at our last uh, business meeting. And I think it is about time for us to, as a church, consider officially agreeing to be part of this church body. So here's what I'm going to ask. That February 3rd, the first Sunday of February, when we come together at the Lord's table, I want us to also set aside time to pray together and agree together as God's people to commit to one another in this church body as members. It's not a legalistic thing, but I think it's a necessary thing. And so you have a copy of a church covenant that you can read over that we have uh, pulled together here, and there's a place for you to sign. I'm not going to take that up as a legal thing. You're welcome to keep that for yourself and frame it, whatever you want to do. But I think from this point forward, setting up a membership structure as this new year starts and we begin to have new people show up and visit our church, and I'm praying that that will happen more and more, I want us to begin to set up a time of church membership for those who seek to be a part of who we are. That would involve perhaps... Uh, a little bit of a Bible study. You guys are already doing that. We're, we're, we're teaching them through it. Uh, we're, we're talking about it from the pulpit. we talked about it for a long time. Uh, there's some books that we're going to order from Nine Marks Ministries on Church Covenant and Church Membership that I want us to all kind of read on our own and maybe go through as a Bible study. But I want that to start being a new thing as new people come and they want to be a part of who we are. I want them to go through this. Even if they're transferring their membership from another church. We have a lot of people moving here Um, if they want to transfer their membership from another city to here or whatever, I still want us to go through this. I hope that you see this as important as much as I do. Um, And especially as we move forward when it comes to uh, church votes on spendings of monies and different large decisions for the church, I think church membership will be required for voting. That's a very common thing. We don't want some random people to show up here and start making decisions who don't have any commitment to this work. (laughs) Nor do they have commitment to us. So that's why this is important. I wanted to touch base today on the biblical importance of that. And I want to preach on this one more time next week um, in a different passage of Scripture. But I hope that you take these words and you ponder them. I'll have this sermon 
It's, it is being recorded right now. It will be posted on our podcast uh, by this afternoon. Uh, please go back and listen to it again if you wish. Uh, I'm going to keep that as a resource uh, moving forward for new members. You need to listen to this sermon in addition to reading some books. Because if we do not commit together uh, moving forward, what's, what's going to keep us from just leaving and going to another place? If God calls us to another ministry, that's fine. But the problem is, God has called me to another church has now become just as common as waking up and changing your shirt. If God is calling us to another work, I promise you, it's going to be rare. It's not going to be a common thing. So I hope that you can begin to pray about your own commitment to the church. But it's not the commitment of the church as more important than the commitment to salvation in Jesus Christ. And remember what Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10. It is the, the salvation of Jesus Christ that is first and the most important because it was expensive. It, it required blood. And because of that, that's why we meet. Because of that, that's why we gather. We have to understand the order here. Amen? And so I want to ask everyone to, con- to, to ponder and to pray. Go back over this passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, Exodus chapter 24. So please, let's think and pray about this. What does 2019 look like for us as a church? What does it look like for your family as part of this church? Let me close this in prayer. Dear Father God, we do thank you for your word And I thank you, dear God, how you have emphasized the importance of covenant with your people. I pray, God, that you would teach us and guide us as a church. What does it look like for us to be Sovereign Grace Baptist Church? What does it look like, dear God, for us to covenant together through the blood of Christ? I pray, God, that you would guide us in 2019 as we become the church you want us to be. There are decisions that need to be made. There are things that we are looking forward to do for your kingdom as you direct. But I thank, dear God, you are directing us to covenant together. Please honor that. Please guide us in what this looks like. Please bless everyone here. And please bless those who could not be here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.